0: Glad you're here as we continue on, march along through the Gospel of John. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. We'd be happy if we haven't met. We'd be happy to meet you sometime today, tomorrow, whenever. You just let me know and we'll figure it out. But very glad you're here. If you're looking for a church home, like I've said before, look no more. You found the most imperfect place to call home here at Genesis so, Gospel of John, this is 30-something weeks this far into it, which is a lot of weeks we probably don't remember. Most of the things we heard a week ago we've probably already forgotten. Um, and that's not, that's, that's not an affront or anything, an offense to you guys. That's just how our brains work. It takes a lot of time to remember things. And so, luckily, the Gospel of John keeps reminding us of the things about which we should remember. So I'll start with this. We, I've heard this been used. I haven't heard any of you use it. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Uh, but this was a conversation that would happen in my family, conversation that might happen around Thanksgiving or when you're talking to mom or dad or when you're talking to cousins, whatever it might be. And it has to do with the concept of faith, but it would be something like blind faith. Now, if you've never really heard of the concept of blind faith, that just is this idea of like, oh, I just believe it'll work out. I just believe it'll work out. Well, based on what? I just know it's going to be fine. I know it's, just going, to, I know it's going to be fine. I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll work itself out all the time. It's no, no big deal. But my problem with that is that if you actually look at how the Bible will talk about faith or belief, it isn't blind. It's actually based in revealed knowledge of something. It's not just, oh, just trust God's there. He's just, he'll just be there. It's fine. But that's all, in, in kind of the folksy way we pursue theology in life, that's often how we talk about it. It'll just be fine. It'll just work out because God will make it work. God will make it right. But that really isn't the type of faith that is demonstrated in the Scriptures. And you can really have faith as demonstrated in the Scriptures, which is based upon what God has revealed, and then people act in confidence in what God has revealed and you can have maybe the anti-faith which is believing something other than what God has revealed but either way faith is based on something it's based on something it has actual truth or non-truth behind it by which we live our lives it's rooted in something you you've heard the illustration before perhaps of the chair you know what I'm talking about, the chair, where the chair is sitting there and you sit in it. All of you probably sat in the seat that you're sitting in right now without investigating the strength of the chair or seeing if it would hold you up. You didn't put a weight on it beforehand. You didn't stress test the chair. You didn't do anything like that to figure out if the chair would hold you up. You just came in and sat down. Why? Why? because over time chairs have demonstrated themselves to you to be good at holding you up if every time you sat in a chair it broke that's saying something about the chair or you <laughs> either way either way you're going to have a bit of chair anxiety when it comes to sitting down in a chair The way we live our lives are really based upon things that have demonstrated themselves to be trustworthy or not trustworthy. Time and time again. And that can be in relationships with one another. That can be in how we go to work. That can be the route that we take to head here on a Sunday morning. And then we'll have certain experiences that remove that confidence. And we have to then try and figure out how to kind of get back to it. Now, here we are in John. And what has John demonstrated himself to be about? The whole gospel of John is written so that we might believe, or you could say, so that we might have faith, confidence in who God is, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was not written so that we could kind of go, I guess God's okay. I can't really tell. But I think he's, I mean, I think he's all right at 50, 50, 50, you know, but maybe 51, 49. I'd rather be. Uh, I'd rather be right about God than wrong about God, so we'll give him a little more. But that's not how John is revealing Jesus. And that's not how Jesus has demonstrated himself throughout the Gospel of John as someone who is worth our trust and our confidence. We're getting, though, to the end of Jesus' public ministry, 11 into 12, and toward the beginning of the end of his life as the Messiah. And what I mean by that is the time before his death, burial, and resurrection, his public ministry, his time that is coming, that we have seen throughout John. And chapter 11 is all about Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus and Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And what we see in the response or the fallout or the aftermath is faith or non-faith. And both groups of people are responding to Jesus based upon something they believe, something that they've seen, something that has demonstrated itself. And so you're going to see some response from the crowds that have some level of faith in them or confidence in Jesus as he has continued to reveal himself as the one to whom trust is due. And you'll have non-faith. Now, we've said before, and you're going to hear me say similar things. If you're new to Genesis, I say about five things, and I just repeat it. Throw a guest preacher in there every time so you forget that I said it. That's kind of the flow. Um, But the opposite, we say this, the opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. That that fear doesn't mean mean you're not trusting in something. It doesn't mean you're trusting in something. You just don't count on it. Fear is something that even followers of Jesus, feel. And how we respond to fear does have an element of faith to it. We often say fear is the opposite of, of faith, but it really isn't. Seeing, and okay, oh, and I'm good now, and what you're going to see is really faith in Jesus and his works, and non-faith, which is the religious leadership of the day, putting confidence in what is around them, what they have and what they can hold on to. Those are going to be the two big replies that we see. So the two common responses to Jesus. And again, I don't mean faith and fear as fear of, you know, as the opposite. But faith and fear, you could call it faith and fury or fear disguising itself as fury. But kind of these two responses, how God uses those responses, specifically the non-faith side, that God will still use that. And then from that, we get to see again Jesus who is confident in what his father has revealed and what his father has for him. Because even his getting away at the end of this passage is not because he's afraid he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. That's not hidden from him. He's aware of his end, but he only listens to the voice of his father, which is why he leaves in that moment. So let's start, as we go into this passage, with the kind of two common responses Uh, faith and fear. You could replace fear with fury or fear with sight, but, but, but trusting because of what God has revealed or not trusting because of what you see around you and responding to it accordingly. So here is what we see in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, now remember Lazarus was raised. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, resurrecting, raising Lazarus, believed in him. That's kind of group one. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So Some believe, but contrastive, this group doesn't believe. Some have gone to the Pharisees, and the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together, and they said, what are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. They actually don't argue with the fact, they haven't ever argued with the fact that Jesus does things, They've argued with the implications of what that means for them. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So let's start with faith. Let's start with faith. Which only gets a, really a passing comment in verse 45. When they saw this, many believed. And more comment goes towards those who did not believe in what they do, because it's moving us toward the decision to execute Jesus, which is a necessary part of the plan. John is moving us in this direction as we get into chapters 13 into the end. And we've said, said it like this. If you need help understanding faith, this is how I'll try and communicate it. And When I preach or when I'm teaching on it, it's, it's kind of three elements of faith. You've heard these before, but if you haven't, just, you know, here they are again. Information, understanding, and trust, those kind of three things make up what faith is. And here's what I mean. Information is is content about something. If we use the chair illustration, the information is that is a chair and it is worthy of your seat. Understanding is that you can give mental assent or awareness to that being something to be true. Trust is when you sit. You don't trust when you just stare at it, uh, and you don't trust when somebody says, this is a chair. You have to go, this is a chair. Okay, I, I know what a chair does, and that chair's worth my weight. And so let's think about this with regard to Jesus. And when we say week after week, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. If you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. We can say that time and time again. That's information. Understanding is that work that you have to do. Whatever it might be, whatever you might struggle with, whatever you might doubt, it's that work you have to do to go, yeah, but what does this mean for that? You ever been in those conversations with your friends, or maybe you're on the other side of that now, where you really have to figure out, okay, I understand. Maybe you maybe even had somebody in your life say that. I understand what you're saying about Jesus. I understand that he is the Savior. I, I understand that. But what I don't understand is, we even use the words and we don't realize we're using the words. What I don't understand is how he's the only way, for example. What I don't understand is how how other people who don't believe in him are destined or doomed to life without him. I don't understand that. It doesn't seem right to me. That's not dealing with the content. That's dealing with, can I actually... Put my weight on this. Trust then is, all right, you win. And it doesn't mean that you have assurance of all that's gonna come or everything that's gonna happen because trust doesn't need all of that, but it's to go, Jesus is someone worth trusting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up control of my life. I no longer have it, it's his. And so you see, even though we may not use those terms, information, understanding, and trust, they kind of, they show up in how we talk about things. If you saw the guys when they were doing the high ropes course a couple of weeks ago, you got to see all that lived out, right? I I see that you want me to go up that cargo net and climb across the rope ladders, and I'm aware that I'm on a harness. (laughs) I would like to see that harness catch a few people before I go up, Michael, you helped us the most with that, thank you, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, appreciate that. It held. I didn't go up, I was the coward, so I had non-faith. Got some good videos, though. But you saw, so they go, okay, now now it's like, but what do you have to do? You have to see, you have to, you have to understand, this, is, this can hold my weight, And this harness is going to catch me because if I fall from 40 feet up, it's probably not going to end well for me or the ground. Like This is not going to happen well. And so in the act of actually moving, you're demonstrating your trust that what happens is going to work. Everything's going to work as it should. You don't even have to know. You don't have to fall off the harness to know the harness is going to catch you. You go, no, this is... This is tested, it's known, I understand the equipment. Paul's in charge, he's not gonna let me fall. I got Drew over there, Drew's not gonna let me fall, or if he does, he's gonna come get me. So we, we see the system, and we, we don't even have to explore every aspect, we just know it's gonna work. And that is, right, not the Christian life, You're like, I've never been in this situation. I don't know what's gonna happen, but Jesus has demonstrated himself as one to be trusted. And they have just seen the sign of signs to this point, The raising of Lazarus. I don't know what other things you would rather trust than somebody who could raise the dead. But if that doesn't catch you, wait until he's raised. There's more to come. So information, understanding, and trust. And they see that Jesus has followed through with all the things he said about himself. And so as time goes on, that trust continues to increase. Question that I always brings to mind as you look at there at verse 45 is thus do we trust Jesus or is there some aspect of your life or your experience where you would rather hang on to the things that you think are easier you want to stay closer to the ground because that's demonstrated itself for you as better. And you're a little, a little concerned that if you actually go out and trust the Lord, that he'll catch you. You've seen that line in one of the Mission Impossibles where Simon Pegg's trying to convince Jeremy Renner, because I forget their names, like he's supposed to jump down and be caught by magnets, and he keeps going, and then I catch you. And he's like, hold on, let's keep going back to the and then I catch you part. He goes, yeah, you you jump, and and I catch you. It should work, probably. Probably? But that's not what we get with Jesus. We get someone who holds us always. He's already said that. No one's going to take my sheep out of my hand. No one. And he's demonstrated chapter after chapter, story after story, teaching after teaching that he is to be trusted. But then, what do you have on the other side of that? And like I said, I've called it fear. I've called it fury. But really, it is—it's—it's it's sight, it's status, it's what I know about life as it is for me. And if I believe that, or if too many believe that, I lose. Verse forty-seven. Those who go to the leaders share what's happened, and they respond. They get together and they say, what are we to do? What are we going to do with this Jesus? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this. You love the the arrogance of that? If we let him. They haven't learned yet that they are not up to the task. If we let him go on like this. The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, you have to remember that, that, that Jerusalem, Israel, was under Roman occupation. But the Romans were smart. And they knew that if they went in and tried to make everybody Roman worshipers, that that probably wouldn't go well for an ancient religion. <laughs> And so, smart for the sake of assimilation and a bit of working together was to let them have their faith, let them have their space, let them have their worship. It only does better for them if the people underneath their control or underneath their power feel that bit of freedom to worship in their historic ways. And Herod knew this from back in the day, Herod built their temple. And there were actually multiple places of worship. Because, you know, you curry favor if you do things for these people. And so they're afraid that if more people go after Jesus, that they've lost control. And Rome's going to come in, and they're going to take away their status. That status, they're going to take away their power, and they're going to take away their place, which more than likely means their temple, their place of worship, the, the place they're seen, their status. We are going to lose this if we lose control. We're gone. We don't have it anymore. Our place and our nation have no more status. But isn't this the same thing that happens to us when we consider Jesus and we go, If I believe that, that means this way of living was wrong. Or maybe this choice for my life was wrong. Or maybe this industry that I'm in is wrong. And I can't reconcile being his and doing that. And so if I I make that move, I have to then say, these things aren't right. And so what do some people do is they go, I can't go all the way to Jesus because I don't want to lose what I have. But Jesus gives us an answer to that, doesn't he? Where he says, it would be better to, uh, or like, I'm sorry. Don't gain the world and forfeit your soul. But isn't that what they're trying to do? You could look in Mark eight thirty six if we could hold on to our status and if we could hold on to our place and if we could hold on to our nation if we could be in control of the worship and we could just demonstrate to rome that we have this thing under control and jesus is not something that we should someone we should worry about that's going to be better for us because we then won't lose out what's the problem you lose out on everything They're only a few decades away from losing their temple. They're only a few decades away from losing their control. Losing their worship. Losing their identity. Even if they had been able to hold on, they weren't going to hold on for much longer. Some reject Jesus because of the personal cost to them. Because we think ignoring him, or maybe in rejecting him, we can keep some control of what is ours, or what feels like ours. And the problem is, that's the deadliest of errors. That when you decide that Jesus shouldn't be trusted, and that you should count on what you see and what you have, you've made a decision but you don't realize the foundation upon which you are making that decision is far worse than trusting in Jesus the wise man who builds his house upon the rock versus the foolish one who builds his house upon the sand and yet every day and maybe even in this moment people are listening going i'm i'm not sure that Jesus is to be trusted Because we're going from some experience, or we're going from some history, or honestly, we just don't want to give up who we are. We're unwilling. This is, I think, one of the reasons, this is Hans speaking, I think this is one of the reasons it is hard for us later in life to come to faith. Because we have dug a ditch, and that ditch is moving in a direction, And to say that Jesus is Lord requires us to get out of the ditch. And we don't know what's going to happen then. That's why I still think historically or statistically you can look and many people who are walking with the Lord, maybe even you're one of them, can put that decision earlier in life rather than later in life. That isn't to say that God can't save a man or a woman in 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and that's not to say we don't pray for those things and work toward those things and labor that people can trust in Jesus at any age. We want that. But you also see so many people who go, I'm, I'm kind of good. I'm good. What Jesus is offering I don't need. I have status. I like my friends. I have respect. Bank account's full. Why in the world would I need this? There's language in the parables about men and women like that, and the Lord goes, you fool! Tonight your soul is demanded of you. Because we actually aren't walking by faith, we're walking by self and confidence in what we've earned and what we see and what we have. It is terrifying to realize all that gets risked when you go, Really, Lord? I don't know what's gonna happen if I trust in this. I don't know what's gonna happen if I trust you, if you really are my Lord. What if you ask something of me that I don't wanna give? Well, welcome, welcome to all of our experiences with the Lord where we have to deal with our flesh and our desire to be in control still. That doesn't change when you come to faith. And the Lord goes, hey, that thing over there that you're holding on to, that's mine. And you're like, wait a minute. I don't remember that being yours. Like, I didn't, was, that, was that in the contract? Yep. Because it was his blood that wrote it. And so even as we... Walk with Jesus. We're still dealing with that moment by moment. These kids are mine. Or, you know, no, they're the Lord's. Their decisions are mine. No, they're the Lord's. Their outcomes are mine. No, they're the Lord's. And we always have to be undoing all the ways we put self-confidence and our own thoughts into our lives. So so Christian or non-Christian, we have to deal with that same thing. It's just do we deal with it from the position of, where, where I stand, with or without him, I would urge anybody in this room who is going, I just don't know if Jesus is to be trusted with this thing. With my soul, yeah. Yeah. With my life. If you look at the, the word, if we let him go on like this, that, that ironic, arrogant comment that we make, if I do this, then this will happen. And then I realized, again, a few decades from that moment, it will happen. It will happen. And this is what's cooler. And this, this should show us that God is to be trusted, even if we're doubting that he should be trusted. Because what happens in this next moment, we've seen faith and fear as this kind of response or faith and, 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 and sight as these responses to what Jesus has done. Then you have this moment in 49 through 53 where you see that God is even using faithless people to speak true things about him. This is crazy. Look at this. 49. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know, you know nothing. You know, y'all don't know what you're talking about. You guys ain't know nothing. Like that's kind of the language. Like you're crazy for thinking this. Nor do you understand. And listen to what he says in verse 50. Nor do you understand that it is better for you, that's another kind of status statement, isn't it? It's better for you. It goes better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. What Caiaphas thinks he's doing in this moment is saying, let him die. It's better for you that he dies. Let's figure out a way to get this guy gone, because it's better for you that he should perish rather than we should perish. This is a better exchange. But John, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looking back on this moment, can give insight into what was really going on, and that's what we get in verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied That Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only. And that's going to become important because chapter 12, the Gentiles show up. They're there in, in, in in larger supply than we've seen in other parts of John. The Gentiles show up. So not only for the nation, but also to gather into into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So you see the statement of Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is going, let's let him die. Now, if you jump from 50, verse 50 to verse 53, that's really the flow chronologically in the moment. They go, yeah, that's a good idea, let's put him to death. So 50 attaches to 53 in the scheme of where they are in time. But John comes in in 51 and 52 to say he didn't know what he was talking about. What he was actually saying, the Lord was using that moment to say, Jesus is going to die for the nation and for all those scattered abroad. He's going to die for his people. It is better that one man die. But what is the Christian message? One man died so that you could have life. In an earthly sense, Caiaphas is going, let's let one man die so we can hold on to our status. Let's sacrifice Jesus so that we'll be okay. But John goes, no, no, no. One man dies so that many get new life. One man dies so that we're alive. And so where Caiaphas might have thought that he was making a trade, Jesus, for status, what's actually happening is Jesus is making the trade, us, for his life. He's providing the way for us to be made right. And this is what is just crazy to me. Caiaphas had no idea what he was saying. He thought... In the same way we see all throughout John, I'm just talking right here. Jesus is talking here, and I'm understanding him here. I'm talking, talking here, and Jesus is elevating what I mean. Regardless of what's happening, Jesus is bringing more meaning to the situation. We're going to see that again next week. Next week when Jesus' feet are anointed and disciples, Judas and the disciples, but they get mad about the cost. And Jesus says, she's preparing my body for burial. She didn't know that. Right? It wasn't this great... Comp- like, it, was, it was an offering. God's always working bigger than we are. He's always doing more than we could anticipate. He's taking this little, this little statement that Caiaphas makes, and it's actually true, but it's true in the reverse way Caiaphas meant it. He's not dying so they can be okay. He's dying so you can be okay. And the Gentiles and the diaspora, and all those who are scattered. If you're in our reading plan right now, and uh, well, we're about, you know, almost three-quarters of the way through the year, but our memory work for now for a while, because it's a long passage, is is the suffering servant. Now, there are several servant songs in the book of Isaiah, but this is the one that is usually read around Easter time. Uh, but just two verses within that. Listen to this Isaiah 53, verse 4, Isaiah 53, verse 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Caiaphas had no clue what he was saying, but God did. But God did. You see further in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaking about the work of Jesus and what that does for the relationship between Jew and Gentile. We read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, "...for he himself is our peace, who has made us both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now you go back, and you can see in verses 51 and 52 how this was spoken. And even as we look at what we just heard in Ephesians, we see it fulfilled. He did not say this of his own accord but being high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations. Or you could say those who were near. But not only... For the nation, also to gather into one, made the two one, the children of God who are scattered abroad, those who were far off, and those who were near were brought together into one. Now I I just want to I just want to stop here for a moment and and ask this question to you. And it's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think our church answer is an easy question. Oh, yeah, it's fine. But would you rather count on what you can see or would you rather count on a God who can even make an unbelieving person say something true about him? More true than he would have ever thought. So do you want to trust in Caiaphas' reasoning? Let's let him die so that we can have our status. Or do you want to trust in the God who made Caiaphas' reasoning more true than Caiaphas would have ever known? That Christ died for us and exchanged his life for us. That through him we have been granted eternal life and not just for those who were near, but those who were far off. Not just for Jew, but for Gentile. Not just for somebody from Spring, but somebody from Amarillo as well. Everybody is brought in through Jesus. Only time i ever used Amarillo in a sermon, just so you know. <laughs> All of us, I think, battle with control. Any control freaks in the room? Even, even slightly, yeah, yeah, the control, yeah, okay, thank you, yes, yes, sometimes it's the stretch control, I was just stretching, but we all have this kind of bit where, where we feel really good if we can get in control, one of the things that I do when I feel a little flustered is I just get, I, 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 I like redo the budget, I'm like, okay, let's just do the budget, I, I, like when I feel out of control, I just kind of focus on something that I could put my hands around, but, but with my life, quite honestly, most of the things that I think I can control, I can't. And I've shared this before with a, a buddy of mine who gave me this advice probably 13 years ago. He said, feeling out of control is a good emotion because it's the closest way to the things way, the, the things, it's the closest feeling to the way things actually are. When you feel out of control, that's how life really is. When you're going 75 down the interstate and everybody else is too, and you're a blowout or a rock away from death, and we're like, I got this. But that I mean, like, I just think about that when I drive, I'm like, what am I doing? I got my whole family in the car. Like, I, we should just we should just walk everywhere. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy but that's how we live our life we love to feel in control but the things of most significance you can't control you only feel like you can so what's better what's better Genesis to count on what you know only or to count on the God who knows everything what's better To use uh, tips and tricks to be a better friend. And I'm all for you guys being better friends, by the way. Or, or to trust the Lord who can mold you into the friend you need to be. What, what's better, Genesis, to, to give yourself over, give your time and attention and your prayers to God's word. And, and hear what he has to say. And pray by his grace that you could, you could abide by it, even though you know you'll fail. Or to just say, I've got it. What's better, Genesis, to kind of to show up week after week with, and kind of just, just punch in or take every moment that we have and go, God, what do you want to do right now? Where are we right now? I know that a lot of our life is scripted. I get that. So we, we, we go to work a certain way, we drive a certain way, we feed our kids at a certain time. We generally wake up at a certain time. mind changes based on the day, uh, so it's not consistently the same time. but we all do those things and keep our life in order. But what's really better? Right? Every day is His. What do we have today, God? What control do we want to surrender? A part of our lives we go. This is much better if he's in charge than I am. So, so do, we really, do we really want to be the people that in, at the end of our lives say, it's better for us if we do this than just to go, you know what, God? I don't know what's best, but you are. And so you just take over. You take over, and we kind of go, what does it mean to take over? It's just the next step. I don't know where the next step is, the next decision you have to think, the next thing that you're dealing with or wrestling through or wondering about or maybe even doubting. What is that next thing? I don't know. If you get stuck here, go just pick one. You know, Lord, how can I be a better husband? What, do you, what does your word say about that? How can I, how can I pursue you more faithfully? How, how, can I, how can I care for my kids better? What can I do with my money? Maybe maybe I'm spending too much on me. Maybe I'm not as generous as my gracious God would want me to reflect to this world, right? If you get stuck, just go, God, help me here and let him direct you. I'm telling you, and you know this, I know you know this in your heart of hearts, what we like to say, right? Heart of hearts. That giving over that control to the Lord is better than holding on to it. No, we know that, but it's the what if. What if I lose my status? What, what, if I, what if I go down this road and people think less of me? Good. Good. You don't need to be a shell of who we think you are anyways. That does no good for anybody. So that concern of, well, here's where I am, and here's where I fear would happen if I actually submit that to the Lord... That feels like the the biggest chasm in the world, but it's really not. Because you'll be surrounded by a family of people who just go, I get it. I know. I know, but I promise that Jesus can be trusted. And I've seen it demonstrated, just like that chair you're sitting in right there. After you go through, you take enough lumps in life, and you've seen God come through time and time again, you can turn around to that young spouse and go, I promise the Lord can get you through this. You can look at that person who's panicking over what's going to happen in their life. You can talk to me, who's always worried about something, and say, I know you feel like everyone's out to get you. And I know you feel like nothing is going right. But I can assure you that God knows where you are, God cares about where you are, and God is present where you are. I can assure you of that. Let's walk. That will be a hundred times out of a hundred so much better than anti-faith. Well, you look like you're in trouble. Good luck. If you would have made this decision and not that decision, you wouldn't be there. That might be true, but then how do you help somebody get out of it? You can't just go, sorry, Charlie. And so what do we see then in Jesus? Knowing that they want to kill him, Knowing that they have decided, Jesus still waits for the right time. He's not swayed by their decision. He knew it was coming, that they had decided that he was going to die. And so you look at verse 54, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, or Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. He isn't showing fear. He's trusting in his father's timing. We see this reflected in Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He knew the decision they had made, but he was only stepping into it at the time his father decided. And so even then, what is Jesus demonstrating? And this is what's beautiful about it. Even in that moment, Jesus is trusting his father's timing. He's confident in what his father's doing. And when he's confident in what his father's doing, he's no longer worried about what they're doing. He's not worried about the crowds. He's not worried about their opinions. He's not worried about their anger or their hostility. What is he worried about? If we were to say even worry, doing what his father puts before him. That's his concern. Now, I don't know how you would feel if, if there was a whole group of people in a city that wanted you dead, but I'm getting on a plane, and I'm not telling anybody where I'm going. Not that Jesus could have gotten on a plane. I understand. That's, how, that, that's anachronistic, Hans. Huh? I know. So it's not as if Jesus couldn't be found. You think he can hide? He can't really hide. Everyone knows who he is. They know what he's doing. Many believe. And you've got to remember, there's always people who are kind of around him. They just wander around and find him. We've seen that all throughout John where Jesus gets in a boat, goes to the other side, and everyone's like, where did Jesus go? There he is. Let's all go. And they all just find him. So it's not that he's hiding. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for his father's time. Because just like we trust in our gracious God, Jesus is trusting in his heavenly father and only doing what he puts before him. And that's the same for us. And God gives us, you'll find this as we walk with him, God gives us what we need in the moment that we need it, not before. I don't have next month's gas in the car. I don't even know if I have today's, honestly. I don't worry about that. God gives you what you need when you need it. And when it's time to step, you step. When it's time to move, you move. And he graciously, every single time, demonstrates himself himself, as one to be trusted. That's what we get in the gracious character of our God.